Well, about just over four weeks ago now, I went down to Seven, uh, the River Seven, fishing for Xander, just trying to catch the last season or late season Xander. But they were uh, conspicuous by their absence. But what I did come across was a, an abandoned goose nest. There's a flock of feral geese there, you know, white farmyard geese, but they just kind of live on the river, very wild. As I was walking along the riverbank, I saw it, and I caught the sight of an egg just, just in front of me on the footpath. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. As I looked down to the left, there was a, a whole batch of eggs, you know, some half buried, some scattered across the bank and whatnot. Obviously, it's this kind of a community nest, these geese, and they, they'd all been laying in there, but something had been in and kind of ransacked the nest. So it would have been abandoned. So I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll take a few of these and see if I can hatch them out. So, um... This is the result. I'm looking at a fantastic little gosling. I put nine eggs in the incubator just to see what would happen. And really, I've got kind of three hatching at the moment. This little guy came out two days ago. So there's a huge gap between the times that these little guys hatch. But I'm chuffed to bits because, you know, to find an abandoned nest on the river, I mean, not that you're probably illegal to take eggs, actually, in that situation, but just to let them be there and get taken by predators would have been a shame. So to bring them back and hatch a few of these little guys out and uh, hopefully get them to maturity will be superb. So added a whole new dimension to the fishing day. Hello listener, welcome to podcast number 128. Unfortunately, Heather isn't with us again today, which is a shame. I'm missing my little buddy on the couch. Um, but Rachel will tell us where she is and what she's up to. But we've got a very special guest today. We've got someone called Camilla Marsh, who's the Eden Project's e-commerce project person. And Camilla's come up today to learn all about podcasting because Eden are looking to do a podcast themselves. So we're going to quiz Camilla about all the work she's doing. Farmer Phil's with me today, and he's been up to all sorts of exciting things. So he's very enthusiastic about certainly what he was up to yesterday. So we'll quiz him on that. And my darling Rach, what have you been up to? What's wrong with it? What's up with the barn owl scenario? Oh, well, Rich, um, from last week, we had my barn owl, of course, that came in through the bedroom window. And we had to capture him to release him back out again. he had the number on so I emailed the number to the Natural History Museum and I had a reply back to say that this was one of their more exciting emails that they have (laughs) and but they would be back to me in four to six weeks to tell me about the bird and the number four to six weeks yeah okay, so I, was, I, shame, I was like hey. a bit dampened then. they're gonna go and fix through the card index i expect Rich, that's <laughs> yeah. the trouble yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. sophisticated systems that they obviously yeah. have so i was a little bit yeah. dampened by that so oh. I thought, oh, oh, well. oh well there's something to look forward to yes. i suppose it'll yeah, come through right. when you're least expecting and go oh there you yeah. are and i just hope it's worth waiting for right? absolutely absolutely <laughs> brilliant so what else have you been up to anything exciting other than busy life at wiggly it wigglers is very busy, isn't it, it is very busy yeah the new catalogue is fab and so we're coping now aren't we we're coping very well yeah we're coping very well with it it's all happening and going out of the door and i'm hoping that the nice listeners get in their parcels all nicely packed with the new information inside to say packed by wendy or packed by silv or whichever member of the team it was that's great so if it's really messy they know who to come yeah, to yeah they know who to come to to moan about it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely or equally if it's packed with perfection they can yes. they congratulate that person absolutely yeah in fact wendy's had a letter back to say how lovely your parcel was packed already. Oh, oh that's very sweet yeah. oh good fantastic 
Where is that Heather this week, Rach? Oh, well, Heather's returned from her blogging conference in the US of A, and she's back, but unfortunately, she's got a tooth problem. Oh. So she's in the worst possible place anyone could be. She's at the dentist. Yeah. And so I feel a bit sorry for her, and I hope he doesn't send her home with her teeth in a jar. She, uh, she didn't, when I, you know, when I came into office uh, yesterday afternoon, she, she didn't look particularly happy. She wasn't looking forward to this morning's No, uh, I don't expect she was, because I think it's quite a nasty old job that she's having done today. But not only that, she had just travelled back from America. Yeah. So you fly through the night, and so you don't get much sleep, and so she was probably looking a bit pale from that as well. One of the downsides of the small morning's uh, dental activities is that they're potentially very expensive as well which will have a very <laughs> that, adverse effect on that's that. true they are yeah. yeah so there's two reasons to dread the dentist the expense <laughs> and the pain so, what have you been up to rich well aside the gosling activity which the listener would have been privy to just now i went over to mark eccleston's last week and we donated some trees and plants and things like that for a community project that he set up and he lives just on the outskirts of Telford, and, and for our international listeners, you know, Telford is a kind of a new town, and it's something that's expanding rapidly. In fact, they're planning to build some, like, 3,000 more houses. But what he's got is this green space in front of his house, so he's turning it into a wildlife area, essentially, and he's involved in the local nursery and all these other people. And he's, because he's so enthusiastic and warm, you know, people are genuinely interested to help out and take ownership of that space. So I went over there to pose, you know, for the shops of star and stuff like that, even though I had no part in this whole thing, really, above him saying, yes, uh, you can have some trees. So you uh, pose for so, his work. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> OK, I got it. <laughs> and, uh, but he's made this, uh, something, one of the main reasons I went over is he's made a, a green roof on his shed, on his garden shed. Mark has what is uh, essentially a garden shed, which is ubiquitous in the UK, really. Six by six garden shed. And he's transformed the roof, really. He's put all sorts of alpine species in there. Many of our native species, you know, like rock roses and things like that. Things that don't necessarily need lots of moisture. But it's a project that he's done very efficiently. And it hasn't taken him loads of time, hasn't taken him, uh, cost him lots of money but it's transformed his space. So I've got a nice little piece. So I just want you to listen to this. Okay, well, I've come wiggled my way all the way over across to Mark Eccleston's place. Mark, that, that name might be familiar to the listener because Mark does take some photographs of the Wiggly catalogue and I think people have read the catalogue will see some of Mark's ace prints in the back as well. But Mark's done um, some fantastic work here with his community. He's kind of created a green space pretty much in front of his house which divides him and a potential development of something like 3,000 houses or something like that, is it? It's oh, it's massive, one. yeah. It's like the biggest development of its type in the country at the minute, I believe. So. Yeah, so, so really, uh, you know, the preservation of green spaces and creating habitat for wildlife so wildlife and humans can coexist is important really and then I mean fair play to you Mark I take my hat off to you someone that's keen enough to bring people together and you've got a few volunteers milling around there and a local nursery school and the local authority are involved and, uh, and you've done some great things and I should say what we'll do is we'll post some of your photographs of your space on our blog um, and Wigglers did donate a, um, some, a few apple trees and things like that so it'll be interesting to see how those come but it's great for those little kids to come along and plant those trees because of course in a few years time those trees will be fruiting and they'll be able to harvest the fruits well, that's it, well, well the plan is so they can do some organized scrumping yeah yeah oh you can't do that now but yeah. uh, it'd be quite good to get them involved and they can actually see where apples actually come from yeah, and pears yeah, and the sure. cherries and, and, and the um, green gauges and the damsons and things so it'd be fantastic no, be great, well, yeah. done. well done but one of the main reasons i've come over here today is, is um, i wanted to look at your green roof 
Right. You've created this. I remember a while ago you got in touch with me and you said, where can I get some information about how to make a green roof? And I sent you off and at least I suggested you get in touch with a guy called Dusty Gedge. That's him, yeah. It- Great bloke. I met him down in London some time ago. In fact, they, well, I did do a little soundbite with him, a little interview. I can remember that. It was like a green roof convention. Something, thing, something like that. Anyway, but he's a really nice guy. And he obviously helped you a little bit. Oh anyway. yes, definitely. So when I went to the website, and on there is they got the uh, a domestic green roof section, and from that I took the the bits that I could use. Yeah. And yeah. Um, used did it on my, on my roof here. Should we have a, Should we have a look? We come wandering okay. through your garden. It's great. You've, I mean, you've got frogs spawn in your pond, and I noticed you've got a beautiful little dunnock nesting in your clematis. That's yeah, I noticed it just a few days ago that uh, I seen one wandering around the garden and I noticed he went into the clematis and had a look. Lo and behold, there's a nest in there. Yeah, so and, it's, and, and when you think there are places around, not a million miles away, there are wilder areas behind us here and you think of Dunnock would both go there, but obviously it feels secure and safe. And you're, yeah, you haven't got cats, have you? There are cats around, but... Yeah, uh, but you, you... No, 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 no. Oh, no, I wouldn't have them yourself. No, 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 I'm I'm with you on the cat front. Yeah, yeah, uh, there are cats about. It's an unfortunate (laughs) thing that someone else's cat could kill a bird that you've got in your own garden. (laughs) But anyway, we won't dwell on that too much. (laughs) Oh, no, no, actually, no, let's dwell on that. (laughs) Anyway, is this safe for both of us to go out? Yep. Are you you sure? It is indeed, yes. Take my way out Trust me. I'm not so good on ladders. Right, this is... This is gorgeous, isn't it? This really is absolutely stunning. You see, to me, this is the quintessential garden shed. You know, what's it about six foot? It's a six, 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 six foot six foot. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's all got. It's got all of your gardening goodies in there. That's it. And people often think green roofs has been difficult to create, but I mean, what, what, step by step, how did you do this? Okay. Well, after looking on the um, the website, I, I, the main thing was I knew I had to support the roof, so yeah. I, I got some uh, extra planks so, to put yeah. underneath the roof to, so to support that. Both. 4B2s on there. 4B2s underneath the roof, yeah, and then some legs coming down the side to take the weight down the side. Yeah. Then it was a case of getting uh, some pond liner, then um, like like a fleecy material put on top of that to protect the pond liner. Okay. And then um, the wood I've used is from a timber merchant, and it's I think it's called uh, gavel boards, right. which is uh, used in fencing. When you put your own wooden fence, you put this around the bottom, and that it protects your posts from yeah. uh, rotting off. Okay. So it's a six by one gavel boards, which is treated. Right. And they, they act as the margin then around the outside. That's it. Yeah. So in effect, you've created a shallow box on the top of your. Yeah, roof. it's just a, I think it's about four inches in depth of soil. Yeah. That I've put on there. And what you've done is you've planted a mixture of alpines and little natives in here, haven't you? Gone for the alpines because obviously they like they can take any sort of conditions. You know, they're hardy. They take the weather. It's going to be wet up here, windy, snowy, dry, whatever. So I thought I'd go with some alpines. Then I've gone for some wild strawberries. Yeah. Not the massive strawberries. There's no, going to no, be just tiny little, little ones. Fruits, very yeah, beautiful, red, sweet, delicate. So that's that sort of like they. I put them round the edge so they will dangle over. So right. you can either pull one off when you're out in the garden, or they're there for the wildlife. Yeah. Some sedums because obviously they. they they don't mind it being so dry. No, they... time. Fantastic. So, Some, um, so a mixture of things, and, and and of course at the moment it looks great, and you can see this out of your your lounge window. You were telling that's me because yeah, your lounge on your second floor. Yeah, we live so, in a, a three-story house, so yeah. our, the lounge being on the second floor, you just look straight out onto this yeah. sort of thing. And but the beauty of this is it's something that anybody can do. If we go, well, wander down your your uh, stepladder again. He says, hanging on to the <laughs> margins of the roof. And we go. We just uh, we just see a little mouse making a break for it because he's been chewing from your bird feed containers. When we come in here, it's, it's not a complicated development at all, not a complicated design, you know. It's quite simply a straightforward process of strengthening the roof, essentially, by putting in sideboards and then adding 
probably not even 4 by 2 they're almost 3 by 2 these supporting boards. What, at 25 mil centres across the roof? So it really is something that's relatively straightforward to do. I mean, obviously something that takes a day. How, much, how long did it take you to do, Jacket? Two days it took me. Two and days. That, and that would have, I could have done it in a day, but I had to go to work, so it, right. um, I had to do it over two days. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, once you've got all the materials, it's just Cake. double to do, yeah. yeah. These aren't screwed in anyway. I've cut them to size, so they're oh. just knocked in in place okay they rest on the the lip that's around yeah yeah it was amazing how simple it was yeah. no, and how, it's, it's how effective really it's good. turned out to it's be. really good. I mean, it's, it's surprising people. Oddly enough, in actual fact, doing something like that is probably less maintenance than having a felt roof. Yeah, because, I mean, you just leave it there, don't you? Just <laughs> let, let, let it get on with it. The felt go, roof, yeah. uh, they, they yeah. leak after a bit, don't they? You know, he's they do. Uh, sorting them out, so... They do. I've, I've seen... Uh, you know, the, probably the, one of the first green roofs I ever saw was in uh, on Vancouver Island. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was like there was an open-air market there, and I bought a little pen knife, actually. I've still got it. Sheffield, made in Sheffield. Vancouver <laughs> <laughs> But they had goats grazing on the roof, you know, <laughs> and and it was stunning. And obviously, that's all they did to maintain it. Uh-huh. Just put the goats. I mean, that's obviously perhaps slightly more than you. you know, I haven't got any goats here. Little island sheep on top of your <laughs> shed, maybe. But it looked quite but funny. It, wouldn't it, it look good, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple of sheep on the shed. What yeah, you oh yeah, I'm just trimming it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's fantastic. Well done, anyway. Thank you very much. Right, that was brilliant. So, Phil, you've been expounding about all sorts of things that you've been up to this morning. Well, very briefly, yesterday I, I went as a guest of a group of farmers, academics and research scientists, agricultural-minded, called Haymakers. Right. They've been established 50 years, and unsurprisingly they were set up 50 years ago to share information about making barn-dried hay, which 50 years ago was the creme de la creme of cow food, yeah. and was what essentially gave way to silage was the progression but barn dried hay and it was quite tricky stuff to do you, you had to avoid burning your barn down for a start but so you've got a, a group of people who are extremely knowledgeable extremely diverse and yesterday their meeting was a trip to Rothamsted research station in Hertfordshire which is one of the oldest research stations in the country and there were two things that we looked at which I thought were absolutely fascinating one was an experiment they've got called park grass which is a piece of permanent pasture which they have had trial plots on for 150 years and they know that it was permanent pasture for the previous 100 years. So it started in mid-1800s and they know about it since the mid-1700s. Right. And the trial plots were essentially putting varying amounts of different fertilisers on this grass with a view to improving the hay yield and quality. And they have conducted the same experiments on the same plots for 150 years. So now we can go and see what the effect is on a piece of permanent pasture of not putting anything on it, putting some fertilisers on and some lime on. And basically the surprise to me was that they've been counting species on this parkland and the best plots have got 50 or so different species within the plot and the worst get down to about six. Right. And the compromise that obviously fertiliser will diminish the species and fertiliser on its own does diminish the species, it roughly halves them. But the worst case scenario is to put fertiliser on and no lime. And that completely knackers the job because the fertiliser acidifies the soil and it gets down to a pH, in this case, of sort of 3+, plus, which right. is that's, that's pretty poor. Really low, yeah. And that rules out 90% of the available species. Right. If you put on fertiliser in moderate amounts and keep the pH at sort of 6 you get a reasonable balance. There are 20 or 30 different species. So that was fascinating, and the sense of history was great. Yeah. The other thing they do there, and have done for a similar length of time, is to record the weather. 
And so they are in a prime position to talk about climate change because they have got all the figures going back 150 years. And the, the interesting thing was that we hear about global warming and the general rise in global temperatures, and they've been charting this, obviously. But what they found out is that if you calculate the mean temperature as the maximum and the minimum divided by two, it's been rising quite sharply in the last few years. Mm. But the element that has risen is not so much the maximum temperature, it's the minimum temperature. Right. And that has raised the mean. And they are at the point of really trying to decode why that might be. And I thought that was a fascinating thought, really, that it's warmer winters that we're experiencing rather than necessarily warmer summers. And the thought perhaps was that increased carbon dioxide levels actually insulate us that little bit more so that they keep the, the winters that bit warmer. But it was a fascinating day. And, I suppose and that sort of makes sense, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah, sort of, but I mean, they, they, the, the amount of data, the data sets they've got are just phenomenal. Yeah. And of course, going back over that long, there's nobody else who's recorded it for that long. Right. So that it was a fascinating day, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. And that neatly sort of brings my thoughts round to controlled environments of you, Eden you Biomes. wizard, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and we can introduce Camilla Marsh, e-commerce project Manage. director, manager, mm-hmm. something or other anyway, <laughs> from Darkest Cornwall. Yep. Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa. Hello, it's great it's to be here. It's great to, it's great to have you up. You've, you've just driven up this morning, haven't you? I have, yes. I got up at 5.30 this morning and drove up, but it was a very easy drive. Yeah. I quite yeah. enjoyed it, actually. I've driven down to Eden a couple of times. It's a good drive, you know, from here, I reckon, from, yeah. uh, from Herefordshire. But both the end results are equally as attractive. So it's you're not Absolutely. like, you, you know, you're going into the darkest depths of some hideous urban environment, you know. They're both, they're both beautiful places. Now, I spoke to you, Camilla, a couple of months ago, I suppose, yes, something must like that. Yeah. How, did you, how did you hear about the Wiggly podcast, first off? Well, I got an iPod for Christmas, and I plugged it in, and iTunes came up. And on iTunes, I saw the Wiggly podcast. Right. And I was surprised and pleased to see it there. Yeah. And so I thought I'd have a listen, because I'd heard of Wiggly Wigglers before. Right. You've actually um, given us some products. We've got them at the Eden Project. Right. Some composters and things like that. We're great supporters of Wiggly Wigglers. And so as soon as I saw the name and the podcast, I thought I'd better have a listen. Yeah. And then I was obviously very impressed and enjoyed listening greatly and thought, well, this is something that we'd love to get involved with and see if there's any way that Wigglies and Eden could work together. See, that's an achievement in itself, isn't it? to produce a podcast that inspires the Eden Project to, to produce a podcast. It's going to I'm be, quite moved. Be good joke. <laughs> a little tear in your eye. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to take your sofa down there, Phil, and give them a demo or something? Well, I don't know. I've always thought that Herefordshire and Cornwall have a lot of similarities in many ways. That, as you know, I've spent quite a lot of time in Cornwall and get on very well with them Cornish folk, mostly because I like Cornish beer. But <laughs> they, I think the similarity is very rural county there is quite severe poverty both in Cornwall and in Herefordshire and to have this sort of beacon that is Eden Project in the middle providing employment providing a fantastic resource I imagine and this sort of free-thinking group of people who will push the boundaries of what's possible using a sort of industrial wasteland I think is the most fantastic thing and you can see the effect it has on the surrounding areas I mean you, you go down to Eden 
all the uh, bed and breakfasts and, and pubs and restaurants and facilities that have probably gone into decline over the years have all been sort of rejuvenated by this tourist magnet, I suppose, if you like. And yeah. I mean, at, at the time, it was at about the, the time of the Millennium Dome. And there were more than just us suggesting that Eden probably should have been the Millennium Dome yeah, rather than sure. that glorified tent that got put up in London, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always slightly puzzled. Now, Eden, I went to Eden um, really a couple of years after it started up. I went to see uh, Pulp, and actually I saw old Jarvis wander around at one of the, one of the biomes. And then I, subsequently I went back. I've been back a couple of times and interviewed Tim Smith, you know, and I talked to a few other people about doing bits and pieces with him. Heather, you know, introduced the worms to the Eden Project many years ago. Really? Yeah, and Jodie, did you go down with her? I didn't go down with them, but Heather <laughs> and Jodie went down, and it was at the point that Heather had broken her ankle. They I don't went... want to talk about that. <laughs> no, no, you probably don't. And so she was in a wheelchair, Jodie pushing her around with her shades on, and didn't realise till halfway through the day that one of the lenses of the shades had fallen out. <laughs> so, so the picture of these two going round, putting worms into the uh, landscape of the Eden Project must have been fantastic. But the story yeah. they told when they came back was just amazing. This professional outfit from everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think Hev was directing from her chair um, where the worms were going, and poor old Job was there with a the shovel. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what was, that was a few years ago now. How many years ago do you reckon? Gosh, that must be. And that was really 10, when things 12 were. 12 years ago, see. something yeah. like that. Well, it's when uh, you were planting the banks at Eden so that you'd got the soil in there, and the idea was to actually try and create some soil structure yes. and try and get it to rejuvenate the sides of this clay pit. Yeah. It would have been fairly early on in Eden's history, I would mm. think. Yeah. And so, where did the worms come in then? Effectively, you wanted earthworms, Lumbricus terrestris, to do the job of creating the soil structure okay. so that. Because you, you'd made the soil out of a, a mixture of china clay washings then, if you like, sharp yeah. sand, and you'd put a lot of organic matter back and you mm. wanted something to combine the two effectively. And what better, well, the idea was, what better thing than a worm? And yeah. as far as I know, it was entirely successful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the result is impressive. Everything seems to grow in the world. down there. Definitely. Well, thank you, Wiggly Wigglers. It's our pleasure. You know, uh, when I first went to Eden, you know, there's lots and lots of interpretation material and you kind of read all this stuff. And yeah. I think one thing that sticks in my mind was that somebody possibly even Tim had written that his aspirations were that it wasn't specifically a theme park you know yes. it was somewhere people could go and learn about all sorts of things with a, with a natural history bent I guess but when I spoke to Tim the last time because it, it, in many respects it is a theme park but a good theme park you know it has a theme and it's a place where people go um, to enjoy themselves you know it's, a, it's, a, it's an alternative source of entertainment aside the beach you know if you go down to Cornwall for instance um, and when I mentioned that to Tim, he said, well, yeah, I mean, actually, you're probably, you could be possibly right. It, it is a theme park, but it does give people the opportunity to learn about many things and appreciate the significance of human behaviour. I mean, what in your mind is even hoping to achieve? With, in particular, what I'm doing with the podcasting, hopefully, and the website, it's reaching an audience and encouraging them to understand the relationship between plants and people and how important plants are in our lives. And yes. unfortunately nowadays, uh, there's so many people out there in the cities that don't have the opportunity to appreciate how important plants are to us. 
Absolutely. Mm. Well, there's lots of children don't even know where, where potatoes come from, yes. let alone uh, fantastic, grand, yes. um, tropical species that flourish in your biome. And I think very much that what Tim's tried to do has been to inspire people. So when people go to Eden, we don't want to push educational messages too hard and to make people feel like they're there and we're trying to, to shout educational messages at them but right. for them to go there to see the, the beauty of the plants within the biomes and to be inspired by it and to learn from small messages that we put around and, and make the messaging subtle. Yeah. But I think with the podcasting that we can work with the green team a lot more. And the green team are the gardening team at Eden. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're there, that they've got so much knowledge. They're full of energy and inspiration. They really are what makes Eden what it is. Yeah, sure. And they, they're the people that speak to the general public when they're on site. Right. They're so essential and wonderful. And what I want to do is capture some of their knowledge and inspiration and feed that out via podcast, hopefully, yeah. so that other people can benefit from it. Wow. It is it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because ultimately, you know, you, you, the fact that you are podcasting will give everybody a voice. And it means that they have the opportunity to uh, express themselves to a whole different community, really. It, you know, external to, to visitors, but at, in actual fact, also to visitors, because you might have the opportunity to, to play your podcast in the, uh, you know, in, in some of the recreational areas, you know, like restaurants and things like that. So, Do the green team yet fully understand the exposure that you're about to give them? And, and have you found that looking at this group of people, that there are obviously people who fare better with a microphone stuffed in their face, you know, does it change how you look at these people and does it change how they look at you more to the point that they spend their time <laughs> hiding behind the greenhouse? Oh God, here she comes. Running yes, <laughs> I'm sure that is what happens yeah. as I, um, I appear on the scene. They're all dreading what I'm about to ask them to do next. But the thing is that they're so used to chatting away to the public now. So m- most of them are very keen on the idea of doing this. They're yeah, very excited. Yeah. And they've said that it's something that they've wanted to do for quite a while, so That's I'm really brilliant. determined to make it a success. How long have you been at Eden? I've been there 14 months now, right, so okay. I'm fairly new. Well, because you're just getting into it, really. Yes, yes, yeah. really enjoying it. Did you say you came from Cornwall originally? Um, I moved down to Cornwall when I was 10. Right. And then I moved away to go to uni yeah. and work and then landed back in Cornwall yeah, six yeah. years ago. Because my parents were there, I was about to look for a new job not really thinking about finding one in Cornwall because there hasn't really been that many opportunities for graduates down there. But no, um, I was lucky no. to find an opening and even luckier to be where I am today. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a Fantastic. nice place to I mean, be. That is a, one of the main things that Eden has changed the dynamics of that Cornish kind of working experience Absolutely. because people, young folks, don't necessarily need to leave the county in order to fulfil their aspirations. You know, you can quite literally, Eden is now drawing young people in great that we don't get that brain, what they call brain drain, yeah, as sure. much where, like you say, all the university students leave, yeah. find jobs. It's great to have some young, a really nice young community down there. So what, will you, what are you hoping to achieve by coming up here today then? Are you going to pick Michael's brains later well, on? I was going to pick all of your brains actually and, right. and get some ideas flowing and had a bit of an idea which the green team really liked the sound of which was a bit of a question time now and again where people could write in and ask questions and then we'd a- answer them on the podcast. So if yeah, there's any yeah. burning questions that people had right. um, and maybe you guys at Wiggly Wigglers could be the experts in gardening for 
for wildlife and worms and for worm composting and and then the green team could be the knowledgeable people about planting plants yeah. do you have an area on your website or will you have an area on, on your website where the customer can send their question to we will do yes. yeah because that yes. at wiggly's we've got wiggly at wigglywigglers.co.uk and that's where all the questions come through to and then they get spread out to the person that can deal with that so for instance if it's hedging we'd forward it to Alison who knows all about hedging and actually grows it and so she's the expert in that area and she'll reply to it sometimes it'll come up here and go onto the podcast if it's something that's of use to everyone we'll spread it out again that way that's a great idea yeah. I think we find that the, the generation of feedback is both the most challenging and the most exciting aspect of yeah. it because we can have a good laugh about some of it. I mean, some of it is hilarious, isn't it, Richard? Mm. Particularly when it's taking the mick out of you. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> but other, other than that, we get some really good crunchy questions. And I mean, yeah. we, we, we've got into all sorts of topics from global warming down to whether Heather should travel by train or airplane or whatever else. You know, all sorts of strange things have come up. And I, I suppose... Ultimately, when, when I think about it, our catalogue, a lot of the photos, the ones that Michael doesn't take, are taken by a customer. Right. And he started just by sending photos into us. And so by developing that feedback, you know, had we not done that, we wouldn't have the benefit of those fabulous bird photos in the, in the catalogue that John Harding takes or the, the other pictures of insects and wildflowers that Mark takes that we know so well. So that I, I think you'll find the interaction of the public via the web with the guys on the on the ground will stimulate them and they'll enjoy that i mean That's we do it. don't we it's great it's funny you mentioned john hardy i haven't seen it i haven't seen him for ages he's a lovely old fellow isn't he really he uh, takes the most fabulous he takes pictures. a brilliant photograph he was he was setting up a podcast as well wasn't he he wanted to do something with his local ornithology group or something like that be interested to hear from you john anyway if you're listening to this you know let us know what you're up to and give us some details about your podcast anyway I guess that's pretty much us. So we're going to go off now, Camilla, and talk about all sorts of things and fill your mind with all sorts of opportunities. But, it, you know, it's great that you made the effort to come up today. So thanks very much for that. And uh, I, I really guess that it's, uh, it's time to say bye-bye. So it's bye-bye from me. And bye-bye from me. And bye from me. And more feedback, please, and it's bye from me. Welcome to podcast number 128. Um, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 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 <laughs>